Welcome back to 64, a chess podcast. I am David coming at you live from Illinois, great state of Illinois. Joining me on the podcast today is a return guest, the very first person I asked to join the podcast uh, close to two years ago, actually. And uh, that's pretty crazy. But joining me today is uh, Grandmaster Ori Kobo from Israel, who is having an incredible run of tournaments uh, in 2022. And it's all my fault. And Ori is also my uh, my chess coach, my beloved chess coach, who has helped me a lot with my chess improvement. So uh, welcome back to the show, Ori. It's good to have you again. Hey, David. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm glad to be here once again. And uh, uh, thank you for inviting me. Yes, that's what friends are for, you know. And uh, on that topic, I guess we'll just get right into, uh, you know, what I wanted to ask you about. So uh, I remember it was like in March and uh, I was trying to schedule some lessons and you said, oh, I'm playing in the European Individual Championship and, uh, you know, Ori Tournament. I, right. I check yeah. those every day and uh, it was like every single day you were just playing a crazy game and you were, you were, you were just getting crazy results. I remember you drew Tari, you beat Marcus Ragger. Well, I was on a date actually and I was checking my phone instead of being on the date because I was like, oh my God, this guy's about to win. <laughs> yeah, actually against Tiger it was a draw, but I was very close to... Yeah, so you are you're winning or something, guy. But I I remember I I distinctly remember seeing that eval bar like super high and just checking mm -hmm. that as you know, yeah. And um and you ended up actually finishing like thirteenth and qualifying for the World Cup. So you'll be playing in the World Cup. Um, yeah. I also saw that you played for uh, Beersheba's uh, chess club and you guys finished I think what tied for third or something in uh, the whole uh, European Team Championship. Yeah, in the European Club Cup, I think we died for uh, fourth place. Yeah, to, for fourth or yeah. something. Wait, I was that with Magnus's uh, team also? Yeah. Yeah, 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 his team was also tied and also Anand's team. Yeah, right. And uh, that's a huge yeah. result. You finished with six out of seven on board six, which was pretty yeah. awesome. And now I've heard that you will be uh, playing uh, for Team Israel in the uh, World Team Championship in Jerusalem, which is next month. Right. So. Yeah. Um, was the seeker just getting me as a student? Was that what made you? Uh... <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I think it def definitely it helped a lot. Yeah. 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 Have you ever, you know, have you ever been playing a game and then uh, you're just like thinking, you know, how do I, how do I end this? Like, how do I play this position like David? Have you ever thought that before? You know, yeah, I'm... I, it definitely did uh, cross my mind a few times uh, during my games in the last uh, two years. Um, in a good way. Like sometimes I thought about uh, making some beautiful sacrifice. Um, Except you make it work. I don't. That's the difference. Yeah, no, but I chicken. Uh, then I chicken and I said, uh, uh, I mean, it's uh, the kind of things David does, but I will. Uh, <laughs> I'm, too much, uh, <laughs> I'm too much a coward to go for such a sacrifice. So I will play it uh, uh, safely. Yeah. But in all seriousness, like I think when we started doing lessons, you were you were something like twenty four fifty, and now yeah. I think this month uh, after the rating list changes, you'll be hitting I think like twenty five fifty something, which is, which is pretty crazy. I mean that's uh, that's that's really awesome that you're having you're having some serious success and winning some, or getting great results at least at big time tournaments. You also won the Maccabia Games right in Israel uh, a couple of months ago. Okay. Yes. So yeah, so you've been you've been having some great results, and it's awesome to see. And uh, I, I'm kind of curious. First of all, like, was there anything that you did to um, to change your approach to chess? Like, did you make any big changes, or was it just like kind of the right things hitting at the right times? Yeah, I think it's kind of um, like both things uh, combined. Like, uh, I think somehow the COVID the pandemic uh, 
uh, in a strange way worked in my favor. Like uh, before COVID, I was kind of uh, uh, semi-retired, uh, I would say, as a chess player. And um, well, my rating was quite low and I wasn't particularly ambitious uh, anymore as a chess player. Uh, I still enjoyed playing, but uh, uh, things didn't go very well when I was playing classical chess over the board. So I um, almost stopped doing it a little bit before COVID. And um, during the pandemic, I think uh, I had a lot of time to reflect upon um, upon chess in a, in, a, in a different way, uh, just having fun uh, uh, teaching chess and also uh, playing online blitz without thinking about any um, any plans for the future or any ambitions as a chess player, but just having fun and. Uh, once uh, classical tournaments uh, resumed after the pandemic, or like during the pandemic, uh, I started playing again at the begin beginning of uh, 2021. And um, I was so happy to be back at the chess board, just moving real pieces and uh, playing against uh, real humans. Yeah? And um, I think it kind of uh, increased my motivation to, I mean, I was so happy every time I got the chance to actually play in the classical tournament and i think it definitely helped me to to do better just uh, you know this joy of actually being able to play yeah i mean it, the, the the approach is also it's interesting like um how much motivation matters so like when you got the grandmaster title i remember on the last episode we did and this is like maybe 18 months ago but i remember you telling i still remember you telling the story about how you know um you were you were struggling to get to 2500 and then you had something similar where you said let me just play for fun i'm going to play like the pyrrhic defense and right. sure enough like do making that switch is what got you from like strong i am all the way to, to grandmaster and now I, I kind of hearing something a little bit similar where it's just like kind of focusing on the passion and not focusing so much on the uh on the process yeah yeah i think so yeah uh, in some way uh, not focusing anymore on, on results so um yeah i think i i switched to, to focus only on um like trying to learn uh, how can i play better without uh, caring too much about rating or about results uh, like once i hit uh, some 2450 rating uh, which was the lowest i had in a few years I, I it was so painful that i just stopped caring about it and i think in some way it was it was a good thing like uh, um, after that, I could just play uh, without any pressure on my shoulders, which was definitely beneficial for me. Yeah, I, I, what I also was was really gonna get at is that you know, it does feel like a kind of self, like a never-ending cycle because it's like you you care too much about results, you stop caring, you get better, but then getting better means that you're getting the results you wanted, and so eventually you do start thinking about the results again. Yeah, this is true. This is true. And it's actually, um, it's been going through my mind a lot recently that suddenly uh, when, when things are going well, uh, I, you know, I, my last tournaments were quite, uh, went quite well. And then when I go to play another tournament, I do actually think, what if this tournament is going to be uh, a disaster? Yeah. Like, what if uh, this, uh, 
lucky charm will finish now and I'm going, going to play another awful tournament like I had some years ago in the past. So suddenly it does uh, uh, enter my mind sometimes, uh, like thinking about results and about rating. Uh, but I'm trying just to uh, to push it away, yeah, just to to ignore it and uh, just focus on the on the actual playing and and learning. I think this is the key the key thing. Right. You know, I'm like I'm looking at your FIDE profile now, and you're top ten in active players in Israel right now. So mm-hmm. you, it's if I were in your shoes, I know I would be you know checking chess 24 all the time and you know saying oh how much how many more points have we gotten here and there and there i can't you know i now i'm really wondering like when you're getting to like let's say the 2600 level how much of that progress has to do with skill and how much of that has to do with just mental stability and the actual psychological aspect i think that's a really interesting question yeah yeah definitely well first of all i i don't know because i'm not there yet Uh, well hopefully you get there you know yeah, we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it, it might be a combination of both. I think like uh, definitely a lot of um, mental strength is, is very important here. Um, I guess in order to be, um, let's say, above 2,600 uh, uh, for a long period of time to, to be stable, though, um, I guess you have to be quite strong uh, emotionally. And um, and also to, to keep on working very hard on your chest very consistently. Yeah? And, and both things are very tricky. I think it's quite hard to maintain them for uh, for a long time. Yeah? Right. And uh, you know, not to not to leak your opening prep or anything, but like, what sort of work have you been doing in the last? You know, because I you coach obviously, and you you from what I remember, you tell me you coach a like a wide variety of, of skill levels. I remember you even coached my brother for a little bit. Um, yeah. And he and uh, you know he's basically a total beginner, um, insanely gifted at tactics apparently, um, but not much else. Shout out Sean, um, yeah. But I but I you know like what have you been doing to work on your own chess? Is it like you know working on openings now? Is it working on on books or or just like really analyzing your games? Like like what I guess what I'm wondering is what does the average day in like your um, chess career look like? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, in fact, I'm asking myself this uh, question <laughs> once in a while because uh, I don't really have a, uh, a very clear answer. Like, it, it changes very much. It, uh, um, it changes from day to day. Like, uh, also because I'm uh, combining uh, playing chess myself and also uh, teaching. So I find myself, myself spending a lot of time uh, thinking about uh, um, training material for my students, both in openings and in other aspects of the game. And uh, sometimes I find this uh, material is also quite helpful for me. Like I check some different uh, studies or tactics and uh, I learn a lot from them myself as well. And also different ideas in the openings that I prepare for a student and suddenly I find it actually quite useful and interesting for me to play as well. so I think definitely having some students uh, interestingly helps me too, um, which is not an obvious thing because I think most people claim that once you become a coach, your chess level, um, let's say, suffers. Yeah, but 
Uh, I'm not sure that I feel the same way. And um, yeah, personally, uh, my main uh, passion is when, when working on chess is openings. Uh, it's always been this way. I really like uh, analyzing openings, uh, maybe sometimes a bit uh, too much. I think that's been reflected in, in me as well, um, <laughs> <laughs> in the habits that I've picked up. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if you're joking or not, but... <laughs> Well, I mean, I've definitely gone. I've gone down a couple of opening rabbit holes. I've shown you some some disgusting yeah. creations in the past. Yeah, but actually, you, you you've done some nice work in some openings, yeah. So. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty proud. I think, for, considering my level, I'm pretty proud of some of the the openings that I've come up with. Uh, opening ideas, the very strange gambits in the French and Karokan and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Uh, at least I hope I contributed in some, uh, you know, uh, pushing you for some creativity. Yeah? Oh, definitely. I mean, I've seen some of the stuff you've been playing on, like both sides of the Grunfeld in your like recent tournament run. They're they're creative. I don't know. I think Svidler said that 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 one of the things you played was straight out of his course. Um, when you play, you played the you. I think you played the white side of the Grunfeld, and it was like a quick draw in the European Team Championship. Forgetting exactly against who. Uh -huh. Maybe against Rager, yeah. Yeah, I was against Rager again. That's that's what it was, and uh, and uh, I remember watching the the broadcast, and he said, "Yo, you were playing the most like testing line in that specific variation." But it was all in his in his course. I don't know, are, like, were you like working on that course, or you just knew it yourself? No, actually not. Yeah, in that game, I I thought I prepared a very nice uh, idea in the opening, and then I was on the white side of a Grundfeld against Rager. Um, I had uh, some interesting idea in the opening, and then he just. Uh, um refuted it very easily like equalized uh, without yeah. any problems i wasn't actually aware of the so according to, to mr S peter svidler mm -hmm. uh shout out peter svidler you know friend of the podcast yeah. but um yeah but he said on the stream that you know he he had it in his course so you i think guess you just got chessabled <laughs> yeah yeah very very possible yeah uh not, not the first time it happened to me no have you ever thought of making a, you know, ever making a, a course yourself on some line? Yeah, that, that's an interesting idea. I, I had it in my mind. Uh, I was kind of asking myself if I would ever do a chessboard course uh, on which uh, opening that would be. And um, I thought maybe that would be the Pyrrhic, uh, maybe one of my favorite openings with black. Um, not, not the most educational opening, I have to confess. <laughs> but, uh, but a very exciting one. Uh, definitely an opening that gave me uh, a lot of pressure. And, uh, sorry, a lot of uh, pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and sometimes also, pressure, probably. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes pressure too, but a lot of pleasure. And um, yeah. Uh, so maybe one day this will happen. Yeah? yeah, it's a fun opening to play because you get like uh, you do get these kinds of King's Indian like stuff, but with slightly, I think, slightly less pain and yeah. slightly more space. Yeah, I'm not sure about the space part, but uh, but the good thing about this opening is that you always play for uh, counterplay. You always play for dynamics. Uh, like no matter how bad the position is, Black pushes for some initiative, some attack. And uh, either it works or it fails badly, but it's fun. So. Yeah. That's like the King's Indian in that regard. Another yeah, opening that you showed me. Yeah, yeah. Let's say that the pick is kind of an exaggerated uh, version of the King's Indian. Yeah? Right. Yeah, I think it would be fun. Uh, 
I mean, the only course that you shouldn't touch if you're going to make one is the the F3 Slav. I'm taking care of that one. I'm yeah, cooked. Okay. I've I've cooked up some. I I I don't know. I I I'm not the world's leading expert on the F3 Slav, but I think I'm up there. I've I've done some some. I mean, with your help too. But I've done some. You know, when I was I remember I was preparing for a tournament and I noticed that my opponent had played. Um, Against the F3 Slav, he played also. He I found some some sideline that he liked to play against it, and I immediately found this like insane, insanely beautiful trap, which I'm not going to reveal on air. But I I found like some insane, like basically forced trap that's just stunning. And maybe I'll make a course about that line one day. But it's uh it's completely winning. Yeah, like it's 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 completely winning. Like and I have it all booked up. And you know I I it's funny because that like I used so I remember when you showed me that F3 Slav, you know the the that whole like boar attack. Which mm-hmm. that's what it's apparently what it's called. I didn't even know it had a name. Yeah, I didn't uh, know. <laughs> it's called the boar attack. And so uh, the other day, I was, you know, I just finished work for the week, and I was just, you know, what I like to do normally to unwind is put on Daniel Narditsky's speed run because he right now he's playing about the level that I'm at. Yeah. And he pulled it out in the speed run, and yeah. I got so scared. Yeah, I got so scared because I I got so scared. I was like, if he plays the main line, I mean, then all these Narditsky fans are gonna. You know, they're gonna be, all be booked up, and they're gonna know how to play against me. And yeah, sure enough, it's going to be revealed. Yeah, yeah, it's all all my prep is gonna be revealed because he also does analysis after the after the game, and he he like he could have revealed so much, and and I have big respect for him because I think he I think he forgot to do it, and uh, and he saved my he saved my chess career. Like, <laughs> <laughs> very kind of him. Yeah? Very kind of him. Yeah, he was thinking about me. He was thinking about yeah. me. And by the way, just for the viewers to to explain the F3 Slav, you mean like D4, D5, C4, C6, then Slav exchange, yes, yeah, CDCD, yeah. Knight C3, Knight F6, and F3, yeah? Exactly. I, yeah. I hope that's not, not a secret, yeah? Yeah, that's that's not a secret. That, that's not, but the, the, there's also some problems because generally your opponents can also play, like let's say instead of Knight F6, they can play Knight C6. Or they can play E6 and just play super cowardly, and then none of the ideas work. Or yeah, they have to play a little differently to get the similar setup. So, but you know, that's all work I've done, and um, I don't know. It, it's it is funny. Like uh, there is there, there's a lot that's been done on openings. I think it's it's a little scary how how good. Like even at the you know a thousand elo level, I see people on Twitter saying like you know oh I'm gonna study the Berlin, and they're like a beginner. Like how does yeah. that happen? <laughs> that, by the way, always makes me very sad whenever, uh, well, uh, whenever somebody plays the Berlin in general, but especially when the you know up and coming players pick the Berlin or like the Petrov too. Or, or the Petrov, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are great openings, no doubt, but uh, why would you pick them? Yeah, Levy Rosman had something. I was watching uh, one of his videos. And he was roasting, like, he was doing his guess the ELO thing. And he saw, like, some guy who was probably, like, a, a 1100 or something was playing the Petrov. He's like, what, are you trying to make a draw on the candidates? Like, why are you playing the Petrov? <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's a very good point. I, I always feel the same. Uh, even when players of my level play the, the Berlin or the Petrov, I, I feel uh, a, bit, uh, a bit weird for them because... Uh, Sure, you can do it, but but why? Yeah, maybe I'll learn the Petrov. Get no. free draws, just you know. No, no, you don't approve. I don't approve. No. no. Yeah, 
I, it does it does also i think really funny how you generally i try to avoid the whole like you know adult improver you know casual i i haven't found it super fun to talk about but i think that this is something i have wanted to say which is like i think people when they're getting better at chess they stick to one opening and they say like oh i have to make this work and what i found in my own chess journey as you've seen is that as i've gotten better at certain things I've tried to play openings that kind of match that. Right. So mm -hmm. as I get, now that I feel like I'm better at hand, like, you know, when I started playing the Karakhan, for example, and I felt like I was getting comfortable with these advanced variation um, positions. And then I, I remember thinking like, why don't I just play the French and just get more of that? And so I, I, I was afraid to make the switch or even I, as you remember, I hit like 2000 rating for the first time ever and immediately switched to 1d4. I just had this right. urge yeah. to just do it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, even you, I mean, I wonder. I mean, have have you switched up your openings in the last year? Or are you still basically playing the same same stuff? Yeah, in fact, uh, I've played a lot of different openings, um, both in the last year and in general uh, for for many years. Actually, I've tried a lot of things. It makes you harder to prepare against you too, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's one of the points. Uh, it's a bit uh, uh, tough to prepare um, when the opponent plays a lot of different openings. Uh, it has its uh, downsides and its advantages. Sometimes I feel like it's uh, it really makes it tougher for my opponents, but sometimes I feel like it makes uh, life much more complicated for myself um, because playing so many different things uh, makes it a bit harder to go really deep into, right. into each thing. Yeah, you kind of um, pick a different line every time. You, you play an idea, you, you bring a novelty to the board and it's refuted the next game. Like you can never play it again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just for example, this line in the Grundfeld that I played against Trager, I, I had some really nice ideas now. And then in that game, he... Okay, he found this way to easily equalize against it, uh, apparently advocated by Smidler, yeah? Yeah. And, um, and I'm not sure if I'm going to ever repeat this line because, well, now everyone can quite easily equalize them this way or a thousand of other ways, yeah? So, right. So, yeah. Um, that, that's one of the reasons why I tend to, to switch lines and openings, uh, usually. Um, and sometimes it works well because if you find something that uh, works uh, specifically well against uh, a certain opponent, it can be very useful. But uh, sometimes it's a bit, uh, uh, let's say, not, not not the most ideal approach. Yeah, for sure. I it is it is um, interesting how you know as you get higher and higher in in like chess rating, like how much. All those little things matter. Like when you, like now, when you're playing, let's say you're going to be playing in the team championships, you in, in Jerusalem, you're probably only going to have a couple of hours to prepare for your opponent. You know, you you or you maybe right. even less. You don't. You may not even know who you're playing. You you may just know yeah. that oh, board six has had either this guy or that guy. So, I mean, how how do you usually handle those situations? Because you've played in quite a few team events this year. Yeah, um, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. Whatever you've been doing seems to be working, 
right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but I'm not sure if if um, if my preparations are necessarily the the reason. Um, yeah, like sometimes it's a bit random, like uh, uh, especially if you're not sure who who is going to be the opponent, or if you have uh, a little time to prepare for someone. Uh, it can it can get a bit random, uh, at least uh, for me. Um, in, in in that sense, I, I'm sometimes a bit jealous of players who play the same opening always, like just play one e4 every game, have a, a very solid and uh, consistent uh, repertoire. The, there's no need to think before each game uh, which first move am I going to play today. And uh, uh, I'm always uh, kind of hanging on in, on this balance, like whether whether I should play like. Uh, the same opening the whole tournament or, or just pick uh, every game depending on the opponent uh it's it's never easy to to decide when i played the, the european uh, championship earlier this year um so i took a decision before the tournament that i'm going to uh, to play a very narrow uh, repertoire with the white pieces uh basically i played the one d4 in almost all of my white games and uh, the idea there was just to save time and energy. Uh, like I, I play with white, I know that I'm starting with one before, and I will prepare for whatever my opponent plays against uh, default. Um, and it actually, I think it worked quite well in that tournament because I didn't spend hours trying to decide which uh, opening to play. You know, I, I heard something similar even in the uh, in the U.S. Championship, which concluded a couple of days ago. When I would hear the interviews after the game, you'd hear guys like Fabi, Wesley, um, you, and others, you would hear them say, yeah, I saw that he's been playing 1d4 in this tournament. And like they basically, they they sort of think psychologically that, oh, if, if you're playing it a lot, then this is probably all they brought as prep to the tournament or like all they were hoping to play. So there's also yeah. like this aspect too, you know, that that people are kind of thinking about what, yeah. how would a chess player handle this, which is uh I like I mean I know you're also your psychology like uh you're I think you're still a student in psychology right in uh, in Israel but um yeah it is always mm -hmm. remarkable to me how much psychology plays a role even externally <laughs> like yeah. even trying to figure out how your opponent is preparing that's like part of the game too right yeah definitely um it's uh it definitely plays a big role both in the game itself and uh, before the game in the preparation um and um yes yeah, so sometimes uh, it happened to me as well that i was preparing for an opponent uh, i saw that okay he plays the same opening the whole tournament so i should prepare only for this particular opening yeah and then against me he plays suddenly something totally different i guess it happened to everyone at some point right uh, actually, I even did it myself in this European Championship earlier this year. Like, uh, I played one before in uh, five games uh, in a row with the white pieces. And then in the uh, penultimate round, I played against a very strong opponent, uh, David Anton from Spain. And um, I realized that if I will play one before against him too, I have absolutely no way to, to guess which uh, opening he's going to answer with. And he's surely going to surprise me with some uh, uh, fantastic preparation because he's a very yeah, strong, he's super strong. Yeah, he's a super strong player and a theoretician. 
So I figured out I should just play something different, uh, just be the first one to, to surprise. And it actually worked pretty well. I mean, he, at least I didn't get to see his uh, preparation. It's hard. I've, I've been, I mean, we've talked about this, but it's, it's hard to find, uh, it's hard to find time when you, when you, you know, when you're improving and at the same time you have like other responsibilities. I don't know how yeah. you do it even, you know, he's juggling school and coaching and all that. Yeah, this is true. It's, uh, it's, it's not so easy to, to combine together, but, uh, I figured out like, I, I really need to play some chess tournament at least once in a while. Right. All over the board. So I'm trying to, uh, to manage, uh, playing chess while doing some other things at the same time. You know, 2022 is, uh, is coming to a close soon. I'm wondering, do you have any, like any other chess goals, like anything you want to try and complete by the, any, any, maybe any goals, like rating goals or something that you're trying to hit by the end of the year, or is it just, you're not thinking about that and you're just mostly playing like for the chess? Yeah, not, not really. I, I don't have any, any chess goals, uh, for the year or, uh, in general, even like, uh, I just want to, to play and, uh, uh, try to do my best and uh, at least I'm happy that I have some exciting tournaments uh, coming next uh, in the last months of this year yeah it's very exciting also I mean the world team championship in Jerusalem is going to be awesome event I've really enjoyed following team chess like that's something I wish there was more of those kinds of team events I think they're a lot of fun to watch they're a lot of fun. Um, the games are always amazing and the stakes are like totally different. Like a lot of kind of positions, like drawn positions that you would just, you know, shake a hand on move 40. You can't do that in team events nearly as easily, Under, especially as the tournament goes on. I think it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's also a lot of fun to play um, because uh, at least for me, I can tell that uh, whenever I play for a team, let's say in the National League, uh, it gives some extra motivation. Like, uh, you, you don't just play for yourself you have some kind of responsibility right. for, your, for your team as well you have to uh, watch out for your teammates games kind of make decisions in your game based on the other boards it makes it all much more exciting last thing i wanted to uh, to ask you i've been watching a lot of uh lex friedman because he's been he's interviewed magnus botes sisters gotham chess hikaru he's gotten a, a big he's had kasparov many times on his podcast and um I there's one question that he asks that I'm going to steal from him that I, I really like because he has this tendency to kind of ask really simple questions and then really deep questions just like randomly like uh <laughs> like he'll ask someone like okay like what's the Roy Lopez and then a couple of like you know an hour later you know there's big discussion starts and an hour later he'd be like you know have you ever been depressed like out of nowhere and I, I think I think it's uh it's an interesting podcast style, um, but I've yeah. enjoyed the episodes. And one thing he's been asking his guests is, um, what do you think makes chess beautiful? Yeah, I guess the the joy that it brings uh, when you when you see uh, not even when you're winning a game, but like when you spot some beautiful combination, some amazing defense. Like um, for me, it's amazing. Like every time I discover some new amazing idea, solve some beautiful study uh, with some amazing uh, sacrifice. Uh, uh, like the, the endless world of uh, exciting things and just uh, like over the 
64 squares, like so many magical things can happen and you keep on um, discovering them uh, uh, again and again, yeah? Like no matter how much you, you play chess or how good a player you are, you keep on discovering new beautiful things. Uh, I think this is for me the most uh, amazing thing about chess. Yeah, I think it's a great answer. Uh, you know, Hikaru said something similar, actually. Yeah. So you're a good company. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and and definitely, when you get to uh, to execute some beautiful combination or winning idea in your game, it's uh, it's uh, it's a great feeling. You know, someday, someday I'll have that beautiful game. I'm still waiting for it. Um, well, but yeah, I mean. It's not necessarily, you know, something of once in a lifetime. Yeah, it's uh, it's even small things. Yeah, you can win a blitz game online where you play some uh, nice mating combination, and uh, it makes your whole day much better. So. Yeah, it definitely brightens up your. I like for for me, I, what I'll say is, what I think is the most beautiful thing about chess is chess to me has always felt like, you know, as as I've gotten stronger, like I've studied more, chess always feels like it's about balance more than anything. And uh, whether that's like a balance in, in pawn structure or in peace play or, you know, bishop versus knight, like you're always balancing something. Right. And so chess, I, I think that's that's very be- like it's the most beautiful games to me are always the ones where everything f- just feels like it's in harmony and everything is everything works together. And and the, the shock comes from just tipping the scales. Yeah. Uh, th- that's yeah. like kind of what I I love the most. Yeah, I, I definitely can relate to that. Like those, uh, I what I think it's like that game Nakamura versus Kresenkow that he actually showed on the podcast. I think that's like such a great yeah. example where he just he gives yeah. his queen away and every piece comes yeah, in together. Exactly. Yeah, but every piece comes together so harmoniously, and it's 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 just beautiful. It's like really beautiful to just see like, uh, yeah. you know, you know, uh, this game was played I think somewhere like in two thousand maybe eight seven somewhere right around that time and. Uh, I was back then like 10 years old, maybe 10, 11. Uh, I don't remember the exact year, but somewhere around uh, this year. And I just uh, started getting into chess. I started playing chess in a quite late age, um, let's say compared to, to my colleagues. And um, uh, I remember I watched that game as a kid and I was completely amazed. Like you, you see something like this as a kid and uh, it's crazy. You just fall in love with the game. Yeah? That I had the the other one. It, it was the first video I ever saw on uh, I got Matur's channel in 2017. It's like right when I started college, I think, and it came up and it was uh, Nakamura versus Gelfin, the World Team Championship. With the, and, the Indian game, yeah. Right, and all I knew is how the pieces move. So I never I I hear like King's Indian and this and that and and then I knew what a queen sacrifice meant. And so the, that was like the first real chess game I ever saw was that one. So that's always going to have a special place in my heart. Uh, and then I found out about, oh, whoa, there's Israeli, you know, chess champion. And I mean, of course, as you know, I'm half Israeli myself. So I, I took a lot of pride in that. I was like, wow, I, I didn't even know. Like, imagine if he beat Anand, like, you know, the world champion would have been Israeli. It would have been crazy. Um, yeah. That would have been crazy. And he got very close. Yeah, I remember this match uh, very, very vividly. I, I right. Watched, uh, every day. Um, with a lot of excitement. Uh, one thing I do remember about the Gelfand Anand match is uh, I will tell you two, two stories. That uh, okay, I was a schoolboy back then, 
and um, there was this seventh game which uh, Boris won with the white pieces, a very beautiful uh, strategical game. And um, I was in uh, some, I was at school in, in some class during this uh, particular game, and I had an exam, uh, I think in literature, and uh, and the exam was scheduled for the time of the of the game, which was very unpleasant for me because I wanted to to watch the game live, so I decided I, I will have the game on my phone, like below the table, yeah. Uh, and while doing the exam in literature, I was uh, checking the game once in a while for the exam. Luckily, the teacher didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't catch me. Could have been a disaster. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't cheating in the exam. I was just watching the... <laughs> the, the it's like the only game. time, it's the only time that, that you, you know, normally when a kid gets caught, he's like, oh no, I was just watching TV or something, you know, <laughs> like you actually were. <laughs> yeah, I actually watched the World Championship match, and I was very excited, like because I, I really liked Gelfand's position, and uh, I, I had a feeling he's going to win this game. And when I finished the exam, we already had a winning position, and I was so excited. And uh, then later in the match, they got to to play the tiebreak, uh, the rapid tiebreak, and on that day, I also had an exam in school, and I was like, okay, there's no way that I'm going to to miss the tiebreaks. And, uh, and do some stupid exam instead. So I just didn't didn't go to school on that day. Um, but it was uh, it was worth it. Uh, Very worth it. Yeah. I thought something really funny in the U.S. Championship that um, Jennifer Yu, who won uh, the the women's section, she was talking in her interviews about how she has like homework for Harvard because she goes to Harvard University, and I was yeah. thinking like. Man, you're a Harvard professor. You can't just like let her get the week off to like focus on her chest. Like she's like working on homework and her rest day. It's like what the hell? Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. I think I actually heard her saying it also in previous uh, U.S. championships. Maybe, maybe some other guys. I'm not sure. Yeah, they were talking about doing homework during the tournament. And uh, when I heard it some years ago, I thought in the same year, like it's really. Uh, funny and yeah? like you're playing a US championship and between the games you're doing homework and then I started uh, going myself to, to university and uh, and in the last year while playing tournaments I had to send some assignments and stuff right. like that some homework uh, like during Israeli championship too you have to like upload an essay or something yeah during the Israeli championship during the European championship I had some um, assignments to uh, to make and uh, so I was half preparing for the game, half uh, working, and, uh, and it was actually not that bad. Like uh, th there's something nice about it. Like uh, it takes away a little bit of the pressure from playing chess. And by the way, it's especially impressive that you won the championship despite uh, blundering the bishop eh? twice. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, against the same opponent. Yeah, yeah, against the same opponent in like uh, two different games. Yeah, so that, that's very impressive that she manages anyways. Uh, yeah, she won down a bishop in Armageddon. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah crazy. That's... So she's playing Armageddon with peace odds, basically, too. <laughs> While they're on, like, move nine. Cra crazy. And she won. And it's a beautiful game, too. Yeah, she, she played quite resourcefully yeah, after, after that uh, little mistake. 
And I think that's that's uh, that's like uh, maybe we'll end it off here. But that's I think a great lesson for every chess player. And if you, in a U.S. Championship in Armageddon, someone can keep playing on down a piece with no compensation and still win with the black pieces, you can you can do the same. So don't yeah, never against, never resign. Uh, against the nine times uh, U.S. champion, I think. Something yeah, like eight time, eight time. She's playing her ninth. Irina Cross, super strong, like super strong. Uh, one of the yeah one of the like the legends of american chess and just you know oh yeah i'll win down a bishop the same light square bishop that i blundered like two days before you know yeah. <laughs> and yeah I, i i think that's like that's uh that's always a good to remember like you can you can always play you know if if jennifer you can can play down a bishop basically and win with the black pieces in armageddon uh must win situation well i think there she had draw odds right in armageddon but still like yeah. She still won, and uh, yeah, if if she can do it, you can do it. Yeah, so no. and I think another another nice lesson here is that uh, I think we all have these games where we make some extremely idiotic uh, mistake or blunder or lose some completely winning position, and then we feel like, uh, well, if I'm playing this badly, so probably I, I'd rather stop playing chess or something like that. <laughs> uh, we we all have these moments. Uh, Whether we are gun masters or um, just uh, Sean, yeah, just the <laughs> beginner uh, for that token. Um, it, it's sometimes nice to see that it, it can happen to everyone. This uh, this shitty moments and uh, um, it's very unpleasant when it happens. Yeah, when you when you lose uh, up a bishop, let's say, but uh, but life goes on. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also important to, to realize it happens to everyone and uh, it's not uh, the end of the world. 100%. I think you're on the money. And I, I we've been talking about this a lot in my lessons too, so so yeah. Well, anyway, Ori, we'll uh we'll talk soon and uh you know, we got our lessons to do. I got some improvement I got to do. But it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast again and uh yeah, well, me too. Thank you for inviting me and uh, of course, no. But best of luck with the rest of the tournaments and um Yeah, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of 64 Chess Podcast. Uh, don't forget to hit subscribe if you listen to this on uh, on Apple Podcasts or, or Spotify. Uh, I'd appreciate a follow if you enjoyed uh, what you listened to. Leave a review. Um, yeah, I want to thank Chessable for sponsoring the podcast as always. Uh, thanks for the support. It means a lot. And uh, I want to thank you all for checking out the show. And uh, check out some other episodes if you'd like. And I'll see you guys next week. Take it easy.